0: Warning, this podcast may be disturbing to some listeners. Due to the graphic nature, listener discretion is advised. welcome from wherever you are this is the demon inside with your host john venom if you want to review a different episode of the demon inside you can find them on spotify or anchor and don't forget to subscribe to this podcast a new episode will come out every monday and now to our show we'll be right back after these messages from our sponsors And welcome back to The Demon Inside.
1: Eight minutes past now and decades after a serial killer terrorized Wichita, Kansas, cops say the case that was once cold may be warm yet again. Back in the 1970s, a man known then as the BTK Strangler claimed responsibility for seven murders. In his letters to media organizations, the killer used the initials BTK, standing for BIND, TORTURE, AND KILL. They never caught that guy, and 25 years of silence have followed. And today, a Wichita paper says it received another letter claiming responsibility for an eighth victim who was killed in 1986. From CDB, let's get to our own Phil Keating, who's monitoring developments from our Dallas newsroom. Phil, I guess there's at least one police officer who worked this who says he is sure this is the same guy. Absolutely. In fact, the police say they are 100% positive that this letter came from the BTK Strangler. He is not only back in the headlines, but investigators are seriously concerned that soon he will be back in business, that being the business of terror and torture. Now in Wichita, Kansas, the newspaper received that letter, including photographs of the dead woman's body as well as her driver's license as proof that this was in fact BTK. Now, he's also claiming that she is victim number eight. He is not just responsible for killing seven people. Now, the victim number eight is Vicki Wagerly. She was strangled back in 1986, but her case had never been solved over all these years, nor had it been connected to BTK. Now, BTK, he is sadistic, he is psychopathic, and investigators worry about why he is suddenly making public contact. And the really scary thing about it is that now he's resurfaced, and he likes the publicity, then the next thing that happens is another murder, and another series of murderers, and that's what's going to be scary. Now, any minute now, sometime this hour, Wichita investigators and perhaps the FBI are going to be addressing the media in Wichita, Kansas. Any new developments, such as perhaps a new profile of who they think the BTK strangler be.
0: Hello, my Demon Insiders, and welcome back to the Demon Inside. Today, we are going to be talking about the BTK killer, Dennis Rader. Dennis Rader was born on March 9, 1945, in a quiet corner of Kansas, close to where Kansas, Oklahoma, and Missouri all meet. He was the first of four sons born to William and Dorothea Rader. The first time that Dennis Rader talks about Factor X is when his mother was looking for something under the bed and she got her wedding ring caught on one of the bed springs. She couldn't get out. She was stuck and she was screaming for help. She started panicking. And Dennis, who was four years old, kind of got excited and scared at the same time. Eventually, he went and got his grandmother from next door so she could come help, but it had already happened. Factor X, he says, made his crotch tight. As he was growing up, there was little things that were happening that were feeding into this Factor X. For instance, his mother would punish him and love him at the same time. and. You know, back then, people didn't know better, so they would hit their children. I mean, it was the norm, not like today's society. But at the same time, not everybody that got hit turned into a serial killer. But Dennis Rader always wanted to find out why he had this factor X, and he started believing that maybe it was because his mother had fallen off a horse and she hit herself on the belly while she was pregnant. And maybe that caused brain damage to Dennis. And Dennis figured maybe that's the cause. But this factor X was always there ever since he was little. And by the time he started hitting puberty, maybe at about 11, Dennis started tying himself. And he would actually ejaculate while he was tied up. And this is what turned him on. Even though his fantasies were about women, he still couldn't perform on a woman. It was as if it was taboo to touch them, to have sex. It was like a perversion that was beyond him. This demon is a little bit different than the others. The others take out their pain or their suffering And Dennis Rader liked to watch the suffering. He liked to cause the suffering. He liked to cause the vulnerability that they have when they're tied and they're tortured. But he never raped anyone. He would always ejaculate next to them or on them. In the fall of 1973, Rader enrolled in Wichita State University and spent six years there before earning a degree. He was a poor student garnering only C's and D's. Then in 1973, he was fired by Cessna. This perhaps precipitated his murders. The first of January 15, 1974, when he murdered an entire family, the Oteros. Most killers start with uh, one person. Usually it's a young person so that they can control them easier. Or they usually do like a rape, but not Dennis Rader. Dennis Rader started with a family of four. This was kind of a big time advancement for a killer. Because usually a killer wants to be in control and the way that you're in control is by starting off with one person. Now, what serial killer has ever started off with a family? We've seen the family annihilators doing this. But Dennis had his fantasies and Dennis wanted to go in and kill all four of these people. For a first killing, it was quite remarkable. He killed a husband, a wife, their son, and their daughter. Now, I really want you to remember this. Dennis Rader's first victims was a family of four. There were four people living in that house. This is very relevant to what I'm going to tell you later on. So for a first killing, uh, he was kind of bumbling and fumbling around You know, he wasn't this slick guy. Every time he thought that one of the victims was out, they would wake up. Every time he thought they were dead, they would get up. In trial, he discusses what happened, how he put the bag around the father, um, tied tied them all up, put the bag over his head, and went and tried to strangle the mom. The mom passed out. He thought she was dead. Then he put the uh, bag on Junior, the little boy and he put he strangled the little girl. His focus was the mom and the little girl. So to his surprise, the dad had actually bit through the bag and he was able to breathe and so what Dennis ended up doing was putting a shirt over his head and putting another bag and uh At that time, the mother woke up and she said, please save my son. So he ended up strangling her again. This time he did kill her. And he took the son to another room and tied him up, uh, put another shirt on top of his head and put the plastic bag over his head. When he came back, the little girl was awake and, uh, He basically strangled her, watched her pass out again. He went downstairs and tied her up in the basement. And that's where he had his sexual fantasies, he calls it. Basically, he was having his sexual thing with her. Now, for whatever reason, he didn't have sex with her. He just, and to be plain and honest, he ejaculated on her. But he'd never had sex with her. It was about the visual for him. Dennis was more of a voyeur. And he liked to watch. After he would kill, he would actually have fantasies of the way he was going to kill or the way the, the bodies were. Or, and he would take pictures of himself dressed in drag as a victim. And he had a mask that he would put on over his face. And he would take pictures of himself in all these tied up, uh, tied up to a tree or hanging up, you know, or uh, in a grave or down on the ground or just all these different poses that were supposed to be victims. And he would take pictures of himself like this. So after he kills the whole family he sent a letter to the police department and at that time they had three guys that they were looking into um, to see if they were the killers so this is what he's sending to the police confession of a serial killer those three dudes you have in custody are just talking to get publicity they know nothing at all. I did it by myself and with no one's help. Raider describes the Otero crime scene in detail with body positions and conditions, which is what I just did. Then he goes on to write, I'm sorry this happened to the society. It's it hard to control myself. I'm, writing, I'm reading it exactly the way he said. It's hard to control myself. You probably call me psychotic with sexual perversion hang-up. Where this monster entered my brain, I will never know. But it's here to stay. How does one cure himself? If you ask for help that you have killed four people, they will laugh or hit the panic button and call the cops. I can't stop it, so the monster goes on and hurt me as wall as society society can be thankful that there are ways for people like me to relieve myself at time by daydream of some victim being tortured and being mine it's a big complicated game my friend of the monster play putting victims number down follow them Checking up on them, waiting in the dark. Waiting, waiting. The pressure is great, and sometimes he run the game to his liking. Maybe you can stop him. I can't. He has already chosen his next victim or victims. I don't know who they are yet. The next day after I read the paper, I will know. But it's too late. Good luck hunting yours truly guilty P.S. since sex criminals do not change their M.O. or by nature cannot do so I will not change mine the code words for me will be bind them torture them kill them BTK you see he added it again they will be on the next victim We will be right back after a word from our sponsors. And welcome back to The Demon Inside. So, him writing this letter to the police or the news media and sending it to them, he's basically saying that he's killed and there's a monster that's inside of him that he can't help who the monster is. That... The monster is deep within him, and that when the monster takes control, he doesn't remember anything. He just does what the monster wants him to do, and he can't stop it. Between the spring of 1974 and winter of 77, Raider killed three more women Kathy Bright, Shirley Vian Relford, and Nancy Fox. In early 1978, he sent another letter to television station K-A-K-E in Wichita claiming responsibility for the murders of the Oterios, Bright, V.N. Rolford, and Fox. He suggested many possible names for himself, including the one that stuck, BTK. He demanded media attention in this second letter And it was finally announced that Wichita did indeed have a serial killer at large. A poem was enclosed titled, Oh Death to Nancy, a parody of the lyrics in the American folk song, Oh Death. In the letter he claimed to be driven to kill by Factor X, which he characterized as a supernatural element that also motivated Jack the Ripper, the Son of Sam, and the Hillside Stranglers. He also intended to kill others, such as Ann Williams, who in 1979, at the age of 63, escaped death by returning home much later than expected. Raider explained during this confession that he became obsessed with Williams and was absolutely livid when she evaded him. He spent hours waiting at her home, but became impatient and left when she did not return home from visiting friends. Marine Hedge, age 53, was found on May 5, 1985, at East 53rd Street, north between North Webb Road and North Greenwich Road in Wichita. Rader killed her on April 27th and took her dead body to his church, Christian Lutheran Church. Where he was president of the church council. There he photographed her body in various bondage positions. Raider had previously stored plastic sheets and other materials at the church in preparation for the murder, and then later dumped the body in a remote ditch. He called his plan Project Cookie. In 1988, after the murders of three members of the Fager family in Wichita. A letter was received from someone claiming to be the BTK killer in which the author of the letter denied being the perpetrator of the Fager murders. The author credited the killer with having done admirable work. It was not proven until 2005 that this letter was in fact written by Rader. He is not considered by the police to have committed this crime. Two women, Raider stalked in the 80s, and one who he stalked in the 90s, filed restraining orders against him. One of them also changed her address to avoid him. His final victim, Dolores C. Davis, was found on February 1st, 1981, at West 117th Street, North and North Meridian Street in Park City. Raider killed her on January 19th, and then he calmly stopped. That's a strange thing for serial killers. So the investigators weren't sure if he had died or he was arrested or moved on. But Rader was actually working as a dog catcher, and the dogs that they would catch, they would be euthanized. They would put them down. So this might have actually contributed to him stopping for a while. But Dennis Rader was kind of a or at least he thought he was a smart man who liked the game, he liked taunting the police, he liked sending the letters, he liked the attention that he was getting and the fear that he was getting from the whole town and not just the town but the nation because the nation had picked up this story. Me personally, I have a paper clipping from the San Antonio Express News about the uh, BTK coming back and the newspaper at the top of it and I quote it says after 25 years Wichita again fears serial killer Letter sent to local paper contains info on 1986 slaying this was in March of 2004 in October of 2004 Dennis had been planning on killing someone again he sent an envelope in October of 2004 to the UPS box in Wichita. It had many cards with images of terror and bondage of children pasted on them, a poem threatening the life of lead investigator Lieutenant Ken Landwar, and a false autobiography with many details about Raider's life. These details were later released to the public. In December 2004, Wichita police received another package from the BTK killer. This time, the package was found in Wichita's Murdoch Park. It had the driver's license of Nancy Fox, which was noted as stolen from the crime scene, as well as a doll that was symbolically bound at the hands and feet and had a plastic bag tied over its head. In January 2005, Raider attempted to leave a cereal box in the bed of a pickup truck at a Home Depot in Wichita, but the box was discarded by the truck's owner. It was later retrieved from the trash after Raider asked what had become of it in a later message. Surveillance tape of the parking lot from the date revealed a distant figure driving a black Jeep Cherokee, leaving the box in the pickup. In February of 2005, more postcards were sent to K-A-K-E and another cereal box left at a rural location was found to contain another bound doll. In his letter to police, Raider asked if his writings, if put on a floppy disk, could be traced or not. The police answered his question by saying no. They said they could not trace anything back to the floppy disk. Of course, they lied. Embedded in the Microsoft Word document, in the floppy disk, was Raider's name, and the church, Christian Lutheran Church, where he worked at. And it wasn't long after that when they arrested him. The rare glimpse
2: inside the mind of a serial murderer, the PT, BTK killer terrorized Wichita, Kansas for three decades now in a jailhouse interview you'll hear directly from him how and why he committed these gruesome crimes here's dateline NBC's edie magnus btk seemed uncatchable everyone wondered who he was where he was until just a few months ago when a most unlikely man who would lived among them all along dennis rader was arrested
3: i am btk and I'm the guy they're after,
2: 100%. This interview, obtained by Dateline after it was done, was conducted by a Harvard-trained forensic psychologist, Robert Mendoza, who performs more than 100 evaluations for criminal and civil cases each year. He was hired by the defense team to assess Raider's sanity.
3: I got this fantasy. I started working out this fantasy online. And once that, potential, that person became a fantasy... I could just loop loop it over I'd lay in bed at night thinking about this person, uh, the events and how it's going to happen, and it became a real, almost like a picture show, you know, I wanted to go ahead and produce it and direct it and go through with it, no matter what the costs were and the, the consequences, uh, it was going to happen one way or another.
2: No one knows for sure why Rader had to kill to fulfill those fantasies. In this interview with the psychologist, Rader dismisses each victim as a project. He says he'd begin by stalking.
3: stalking stage is when you start learning more about your victims, potential victims. I uh, went to the library, I looked up their names, that address, cross-reference, and called them a couple of times. Drove by there whenever I could.
2: And each time he struck, Raider said he was armed with what he calls his hit kit.
3: It, it up. contained what? Uh, plastic bags, rope, tape, uh, knife, gun wouldn't be a kid, they'd be for to in a house and together love.
2: No. Tools that would come to define the work of BTK. The victims were often discovered bound with tape or rope tied in unusual knots. In his jailhouse interview, Rader blamed his murder spree on that mysterious force he has always claimed was way beyond his control, Factor X.
3: Something that's. I use it. Uh, I actually think I'm maybe possessed with demons. Uh, I was dropping on my head when I was a kid. Uh, I've talked to some uh, theological Christian people, and some of those people are really strong. They actually think, well, the Bible says that, that there's demons and, and, uh, within you or come into you. Uh, that's the only thing I can figure out. I have, you know, uh, you know something drove me to do this. You know, the normal people just don't do this. You can't stop it. I can't stop it. It's just... controls me you know it's a it's it's like it's in the driver's seat
0: and now comes a real big surprise how does this BTK Dennis Rader link to the Idaho killings how does it link to those four students that were killed how does it link to Brian Kohlberger take a listen to this
1: what did you first think when you that Dr. Ramsland was teaching Ryan Koberger.
4: Um, I found out Friday um, after Koberger's arrest. I saw actually saw somebody mention Dr. Ramsland on Twitter, um, and then I realized, you know, there was a connection there through DeSales University. Um, like personally, my first reaction was just like my stomach churned, and I I, I literally physically got ill. Um, I, I live with chronic PTSD. So, um, anything unexpected can really throw me. And knowing that there was now a connection back to Ramsland and she connects to my father, um, it was just a lot because I've been pretty invested in the Idaho case. I've been, um, keeping up with the news and the true crime community. I've been tra- quietly. <laughs> Invested in the case. And so I was um, pretty shocked to find out that there, there was a connection to Ramslin and potentially a connection to my father, but we, we're going to have to wait and see.
0: So could this Idaho killer have been paying an homage to the BTK by killing four people with his first time? Or could he possibly have the same demon that Dennis Rader had maybe it's that pride because he seems kind of like a prideful guy you know he was taking these courses very intelligent very good looking had money and yet he still killed these poor kids why? could it be the X Factor? the monster? or Maybe it's just another one. Another demon inside. Thanks for listening, guys. Hope you liked my show. And we'll see you next week. Have a good one. Don't forget to subscribe to The Demon Inside on Spotify, Anchor, or any other podcast directory or through our website, anchor.fm backslash The Demon Inside. A new episode of The Demon Inside comes out each Monday. Let us know what you think and join the conversation on our Demon Inside Facebook page and on Instagram. We thank you for listening and hope you'll join me next Monday for a new Demon Inside. If you enjoyed this episode, tell your friends. I'm John Venom. We'll see you next time, if I don't get possessed. The Demon Inside was created and written by James Porter. It's a production of Venomous Entertainment. Theme music, Demon Inside. Is on the album Conjure One by Reese Holber. Background music was created by Lucas Key.